Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. We've made it to March. Happy March, everyone. At, at least those of you that are listening to this uh, in a timely fashion. If you're looking at this podcast, you know, two years from now in August and you're just going through the episodes, well, then happy August, I suppose. For us here in real time land, it's milestone week. This is episode 30 of the Leadership Window. Uh, I. <laughs> I'm having a blast. I really am. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot. And in fact, today I'm going to talk about some of what I'm learning uh, throughout my leadership journey. Uh, but it is milestone week also. Yesterday, happy birthday to me. I'm now the speed limit. Double nickel, the big five, five. And here's the thing. Uh, those of you that know me or have listened to me, watched my YouTube channel, read my blogs, those kinds of things, you know that I really have this affinity with the number five. In fact, I have a YouTube episode on why that is. Go check it out. Uh, jinxperspective.com and then just go to YouTube channel. You'll find it somewhere in there. The magic of the number five. So, uh, 55 now, this should be a magical year for me. Um, d the double five thing going on. And, um, so far I got to tell you, it is, I've been telling people recently when they ask me how I'm doing, I, I almost feel guilty. I have, um, I'm doing great. And I think it's because, well, for one, I'm very grateful to be healthy and, uh, to have a healthy family. I know that a lot of people have really had um, a very rough time and in many cases a tragic time with this pandemic that we're in. So far, we've has, we have escaped, uh, we think we've escaped. <laughs> we've been sick a couple of times in the last year and wondered if it was COVID. But um, anyway, I have my health and more importantly than that, well, no, I guess there's nothing more important than your health. Um, but my work is so incredibly fulfilling for me. And for some reason, this last couple of months, it's just really amplified. Every single session that I am engaged in, whether it's a team coaching or a board facilitation or a one-on-one -on -one executive coaching session, I'm getting a tremendous amount of fulfillment in feeling that I'm giving of my best to someone and advancing them, man, that that's a really powerful thing to feel. And what is amazing is that I'm also learning, continuing to learn from every single interaction that I have with just a whole bunch of amazing leaders. So, uh, yeah, so far it is a magical year. I certainly hope that it continues last week. Uh, we recorded part one of this two part series and, uh, we're talking about lessons in leadership. And last week, what I shared were five things that, uh, I have learned so far in my doctoral studies, um, PhD program in organizational leadership. 
I've had some people ask me like, what, what kinds of things do you cover in that? So I talked a little bit about that last week, five core concepts that have just really resonated with me. And we said that this week I was going to share five more leadership lessons that I've learned, but these are lessons I didn't get in school lessons I didn't read in books. Now, a couple of them have, have um, been sparked by great conversations with amazing leaders and other coaches, but these were not academic principles. Uh, I think a lot of them have been affirmed in many of the academic studies. You read about the different leadership theories, you know, agency theory, transformational leadership theory, and all these things. And you can start to piece together your life experiences and make connections back to the academics. And I've been able to do that, and it makes it really powerful. But today, I just want to share, this isn't going to be a long episode, I just want to share five things. There have been many, many, many more things than five things that I've learned, (laughs) um, fortunately, but uh, I just want to share five. So let me start with the first one. And I was actually talking about this one with uh, a coachee very recently this, this past week. And this, this was a transformational moment for me back in, I think it was 2003 or 2004. Um, and it was an experience with an executive coach named Kevin Cashman who wrote the book Leadership from the Inside Out, which is, if you don't read any other book on leadership, I recommend you read that one. He has us get very introspective with our leadership, who we are as a person, why we lead the way we lead, and how we can leverage that. We are who we are. Uh, we're motivated by what we're motivated by. I've said it before in this program. Many people have heard me say this leaders don't motivate people. Uh, you can debate that, but the premise here is that we're all already motivated by our own intrinsic value system and just what motivates us. What a leader does an effective leader is connect that passion or motivation with the work that needs to be done. So, uh, for example, a leader inspires, uh, which is a little different than motivates. We won't get all into that, but here was the moment for me is when I realized what my actual, what I'm actually motivated by. (laughs) And I'm motivated by performance. That was the word. I, I won't take the time to go through the entire um, set of activities, very intense activities that, um, this was in a mastermind coaching program and the activities that led us to identifying the one word that motivates us. And for me, it was performance. For example, I'm performing right now. I'm recording a podcast. I'm speaking into a microphone. I'm speaking to an audience, however big that audience is. I have always thrived on a stage. Um, I love public speaking. I love to facilitate meetings or to do trainings or even the one-on-one coaching calls 
that I do are in a sense performing. I have to be on just like a pitcher has to be on when they take the mound in a big league game of significance. You are performing at that point. And, um, call performance what you want. We talk about organizational performance, employee performance. For me, just the act of the performing motivates me. It lights me up. And and I finally got to that. And when I did, I kind of felt bad about it. And I went to Kevin and I said, I'm not sure I like my word. He goes, why? I said, because performance, like that's really self-centered. Um, I'm sitting here realizing that what really motivates me is like when I'm on a, uh, you know, when I'm on, <laughs> whether it's in a microphone on a stage or on the phone or wherever it is, but that ability to perform. And, and he said, why, why, what's, what's your problem with that? And I said, it's, it makes it about me. And I don't, I, I just don't think leadership is about me. He goes, well, it is until you figure out how to connect that motivation to purpose that advances others. Hmm. Well, here I am in a business called the jinx perspective where I'm doing exactly that. I am taking the talents, the gifts that God's given me, and I have found a way to plug them in, in such a way where I get the fulfillment for doing it, but where the people that I am working with are advanced and better for it. So it's a contribution. So I've taken my motivation and connected it to a greater purpose. It was one of the most transformational things, learnings in my life and in my leadership journey. And um, so it's fine to get the fulfillment of whatever it is you'd like to do. It's magical when you're getting that fulfillment while advancing a greater purpose, a purpose bigger than yourself. And so um, there it is. I, a few, a couple of months ago, I was listening to one of uh, Brene Brown's podcasts and she had Priya Parker on who, oh my gosh, what a, I could listen to a podcast of Priya Parker all day long. She was incredible. Um, I think her latest work is The Art of Gathering. Um, anyway, what she said was something that her mother said to her when she was young, and that is, uh, it was two questions. Uh, what are you good at and where is there need for it? And that's really the simplicity of this. Finding your passion, your motivation, uh, what drives you, what makes you tick, what makes you feel like you're really offering contribution and plug it into something meaningful where somebody can get something out of it. That's number one, how our passion connects to purpose. And by the way, the really effective leader is discerning when it comes to the people that they lead. Meaning, again, it's not just about finding your own passion and purpose and making sure that those are connected, but helping others connect their passions or their motivations to the greater purpose. Um, you know, the Dwight Eisenhower definition of leadership and getting people to do things you want done because they want to do it. In other words, connecting their motivation with your purpose. Make that connection, you'll have an unstoppable team. The second thing that I'd like to share with you is one that I still don't like. I'm still struggling with this one, but I have learned it. I, have, I, I do acknowledge it, and that is 
You can go fast when you're going alone, but you have to slow down when you're leading others. <laughs> I've learned this. Let me see. Have I actually learned this now that I'm thinking about it? I, I've learned it cognitively. I'm still working on it emotionally and in practice, uh, trying to get more micro aware that when I'm in a moment where I'm trying to lead others or take, bring others to a particular place, I have to go at a pace they can go, not at the pace I always want to go. And I've succeeded and failed in moving fast with a group. So I've had both experiences Um, you know, I remember leading an organization and I had a board that really had an appetite for speed. Uh, it was, yeah, go, go, go. We, this is great. We're with you. We're supporting you. We're plugged in. I've worked for another board that didn't quite have that appetite, appetite, you know, going, going too fast here, slow it down. You don't have to do everything at once. You know, let's take this slow. And it was frustrating. It was excruciating for me, to be honest with you. But um, that was my fault. Like, you know, that's leadership. You can't you can't just get so far out ahead of people that they're not there anymore. John Maxwell says, if that's the case, you turn around and you look and there's no followers. You're not leading. You're just taking a walk. So uh, that's what I have found myself doing a time or two in my life. Um, I've been told by uh, board members that my greatest strength is my impatience and that my greatest weakness is my impatience. Um, it can work for me. It can also work against me. And this is one I've learned conceptually. I'm still learning it in practice. It's the Marty Linsky definition of leadership in some ways, um, disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> you know, you have to, if you pass that absorption rate, it all implodes. And so, and I also am well aware of the phrase, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go together, or if you want to go far, go together. Uh, That's all, that sounds so wonderful, you know, and I know it's true to a large degree, maybe with a few exceptions, um, but I don't like it because I like to move, I like to move fast. I like to get things done. One of the reasons I'm continuing to serve in this sector, if you were to go to my website and look at our mission and purpose, you'll find that part of it, part of the reason that we're here is because the nonprofit sector just moves so incredibly slowly toward its objectives. And one of the things that I would love to be able to say at the end of a career that I did was help speed some things along the way. Uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be slow just because there's multiple people involved, maybe slower. But um, so this is one I'm I'm being honest and transparent with you on and saying I still struggle with this one. I, I am not the most patient person when it comes to moving from concept and idea to execution. And, you know, look, there's good and bad to that. I can tell you story after story of amazing innovators who do things fast and they don't wait for perfection. I can also tell you story after story of people who played the long game and came up with something transformational. But for me, I just I just like the speed. I get really frustrated when it's too slow. So still working on it. I still insist on speed where I can. I still question, you know, why why does it have to be this slow? But I am learning that uh, that's fine when you're by yourself, when you're just the individual performer. But when you're when you're leading others, you got to go at their pace. Number three is that assumptions are leadership's number one 
killer. Um, I, this goes beyond leadership. This is about people and the assumptions we make. We talk about biases and prejudices and, and things like this. The assumptions that we make are usually wrong. I, I'm, you know, I think that's a fair statement. The assumptions we make in life, they're usually wrong. We make a few based on experience. Um, once we see a pattern, then we can assume that the next step is going to happen. And in that case, we're often right. But uh, when we're just, I'll tell you, in leading an organization, oh my goodness, how many times my assumptions have been wrong and how many times I have found others' assumptions to be wrong. I mean, how many times have we been so certain that we've communicated a certain way to people and only to come to find out, nope, <laughs> they didn't get it. And we blame them, of course. Um, it's their fault. They didn't hear it. We said it. They should have understood it. And more often than not, it comes down to our assumptions. We assumed they got it. We assumed they understood it. We assumed that that when they heard it, they were at the same place we were in their heads. You know, I, it's clear to me, it certainly should be clear to you. One of the exercises I've used a lot in my employee engagement and leadership workshops that I've done is the, the two people in a room exercise where you, you, you put two people up in front of the audience and you ask the audience, how many people are standing up here? And the audience says two. And uh, in the activity, what I tell them is, no, there's actually six people up here right now. So if I'm, it, let's take you and me, for example, you, the listener, and me, the speaker, two people, really it's six. There's who you are and who I am. That's the two we got right. When Those are the obvious ones. Then there's who you think I am and who I think you are, our perceptions of each other. Those are not the same person, by the way. Um, even if you know someone pretty well, you still don't, you don't completely know them. So there's who you think they are and, and who they actually are. Those are two different people. So now we're up to four, who you are, who I am, who you think I am, who I think you are. Now here's where it gets really tricky with assumptions. These are the other two people in the room. There's who I think you think I am and who you think I think you are. So not only do we have perceptions about, um, about the other person, we also have perceptions and judgments, even though we may not be thinking about them consciously, we have perceptions about what they think of us and assumptions about what they think of us. I've done workshops that I thought were just, man, you know how you're, you're just in the zone. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I'm delivering this workshop or this training or giving this speech and I'm thinking, man, I am rocking it. This, I feel so in the zone. I've got my mojo going. I'm connected. I'm in the flow, whatever you want to call it. And nothing, just silence, you know, no response at the end, just kind of, eh, okay. And I'm wondering, well, wow, I thought I was connecting. I've had other times when I, when I didn't think I was connecting and I'm, I'm up there going, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. I am this is a, this is terrible. I'm just bombing this. And sometimes that's when I get the most reaction, man, that was the greatest thing ever. I, you know, thank you for that. It was so, boy, that really advanced me. It really moved me forward. I got so much out of this best workshop at the conference, whatever, whatever the high praise is. I, my assumptions were wrong. And so when going back to these six people, they really are different people who I think you think I am 
is probably not who you think I am. And who you think I am is probably not exactly who I am. And by the way, we make these judgments instantly when we meet someone for the first time. When we hire a new employee, we have a certain mindset of, oh yeah, okay, so this is who I just hired. And they're thinking, okay, so this is who I'm about to go to work for. And you're both wrong. But you're going to carry those assumptions into your leadership journeys together. And when they are wrong with implication, then it gets then it gets rough. So um, uh, assumptions are tough, which is, by the way, the reason that we do 360 assessments. In our coaching work, we'll often do a 360-degree leadership inventory of a CEO or a leader, whoever we're leading. And uh, I've talked to a number of people, one, one recently, who said, oh, the idea of a 360 is terrifying. And I get that. I, like, you know, oh my gosh, what will people tell me if they have total anonymity and they're being open and honest about how they see me as a leader? I'm afraid. Now think about that for a minute. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that my assumptions about what they think of me are going to be wrong. And so I'm terrified to see it. I'm terrified for someone to say something bad about my leadership and I feel like a failure or I feel like I, you know, they, they don't respect me or whatever that might be. And here's, here's the other side to that is how about not knowing that they don't respect you or, or not even that they don't respect you, but how about not knowing that you're projecting a certain way that's giving them a perception of you, you not, you're not aware of. Wouldn't you rather know what they think than not know what they think? and they're thinking something you probably should know, to me, that's terrifying. It's the not knowing that can trip us up and get us in trouble. So why? Because it, uh, it relies on our assumptions then, and our assumptions are probably going to be wrong. Let me move to number four. Number four is I am accountable for me, period, Period. I could move on to number five right there. I, I would hope that statement really does speak for itself. I will say a little bit about it, though. I am accountable for me, period, in virtually all circumstances. I'm accountable for me, nobody else. We play blame games as humans beyond um, understanding, really. I mean, we constantly are pointing the finger at somebody else. If they didn't get the communication, it's their fault. It's not because I might have been able to communicate it better. If I didn't get the communication right, it's their fault. They didn't communicate it well. If uh, the whole organization, you know, went down a certain path that was one I didn't want to go down, it I have to be accountable for me. And one of the things I experience a lot in my coaching, too, is when people will try to uh, they want to start coaching someone who's not in the room. I learned this from my my coach and mentor, Jim Smith, by the way, you can't coach who's not in the room. But we want to do that as leaders often we will say, well, I'm having a tough time with Jack and uh, Jack just this and Jack that. And, and, you know, we can't we cannot fix Jack. We cannot even coach Jack. Jack's not in the room. We got to focus on you. What is your role in this situation with Jack? Um, and we just often don't do that. I do a, a employee engagement survey, or I administer an employee engagement survey in companies, and it does ask questions like, uh, 
you know, what's the relationship like between you and your immediate supervisor? Or, you know, how do you feel about, you know, the training into the development that you receive from your organization? Those are great. You want to know those. Leaders want to know those. But um, I love what Marshall Goldsmith says. Uh, you know, world-class executive coach, multiple New York Times bestselling author, Marshall Goldsmith. Look him up if you don't know who he is. You should know who he is if you're in the leadership world. But I love the questions he asks. He says, the questions we ought to be asking about employee engagement ought to be pointed to the individual, the employee. Did I do my best today? What did I do today to advance a positive relationship with my immediate supervisor? What did I do today to exert influence on the organization? Um, and so when you start asking those questions, it's look, I'm accountable for me. I can sit and point fingers everywhere and give everybody else a rating on how well I think they did. But in the principle of you get out what you put in, how would I rate myself in these things? And oftentimes if we're really honest about those, we realize maybe I'm not doing everything that I should be doing. So I'm accountable for me. Um, by the way, based on this Marshall Goldsmith principle, I started incorporating a leadership pledge at the beginning of all of my workshops. And it goes like this. I, I ask the attendees of the workshop to raise their right hand and repeat after me. And it goes something like this. Uh, th my ability to extract value from this workshop or whatever the event is, is dependent neither on the content of the slides nor the talents of the presenter my ability to extract value from this workshop is dependent neither on the slides nor the talents of the presenter in other words i'm not going to walk into this training experience going okay feed me you know i'm here show me perform for me entertain me give me something that you know and if i don't happen to be your speed or your style you can easily get distracted by that. Or if the speaker uh, has something that maybe you've already heard before, you may feel like you can't get value from that. But I'm sitting at uh, a table at the O'Henry Hotel in Greensboro, North Carolina with Marshall Goldsmith over a beer, right? And it's it's my, my one of my good friends and Marshall Goldsmith and me at the table. And this is after one of the presentations that we heard him make there at the hotel. And he was telling us that when you go to these conferences and you sit down in one of the breakout sessions and it's not very good and you get up and you walk out and you think I'm going to go down the hall and find another workshop or you sit there and you suffer through it. And the whole time you're judging the speaker and the, and the conference coordinators who, where did they get this guy? Like, oh, how, why is he up here speaking? I know more than they do. I should be, you know, whatever, whatever, we're, we're, we're not getting value out of it. He said, if you change your mindset, when you walk into that room and say, I'm responsible for myself, I'm responsible for walking out of here with some kind of value. And that means I'm going to have to be fully present, fully present. And if you are fully present, he says, and I've tested this and I've not, I've not been able to disprove this. He says, if you are fully present, present you can walk out of any uh any conference workshop with value no matter how poor it is if you are fully present 
and I won't go into the different techniques and things that I've worked on to get to that, but I am a wholehearted supporter of that notion and that concept. Okay, let's move to number five. Number five is my favorite one, and it's a tool that I use more than any other tool in my coaching, and it's one that I do my best to apply in my own work and my own life. Uh, I didn't come up with this. It, I, this this truly is something I didn't get from school or a book. Somebody told me this, and I don't remember who it was. It's a model called CIA. And uh, you can Google it, in fact, uh, and you can find different adaptations and versions and people's interpretations of it. My My first introduction to the CIA model was something that my dad used to say. So this is the foundation. And this actually represents the C and CIA. Dad used to say, control what you can, roll with the rest. Control what you can, roll with the rest. And I loved it. I always thought, you know, that's there's that sort of personal accountability thing. It's like laying things down that you can't do anything about. Only worry about what you can control. Why worry about anything else? But there's a nuance to it in the CIA model that adds a dimension to dad's principle. And it's that middle letter, the I, the I stands for influence. And so the C in, in uh, CIA is control in any challenge or situation or goal you're pursuing or project you're working on or relationship you're, you're working on. There are those things that you completely unilaterally control. Your hands are on the knobs and levers. You get to decide. I get to choose, uh, you know, how many carbs I eat in a week. <laughs> it's totally up to me. I completely control that. Nobody controls that for me. There are those things that you completely control about a situation, a challenge, a conflict, um, um, again, a goal you're trying to pursue. But then there are those things you can't control them on your own, but you can influence them. That's the I. I can't completely control them, but I can bring influence to the table. And if you're a believer in John Maxwell's definition of leadership, that's where the art of leadership lies, is in the I. Influence. Nothing more, nothing less, he says. Uh, and it really is. Influencing others really is about leadership. So the I is, am I, have I, have I uh, applied the right framework to advance people? Have I had the meaningful conversations I need to have? Have I made the case? Have I shaped a path to make it easy for someone to follow? How have I brought influence to the table? And then there's the A, and the A is I can't control it, and I can't influence it. This is kind of the roll, roll with the rest that my dad used to say. The A stands for accept. I can't control it. I can't influence it. I need to just accept that. I need to accept it for what it is. Some of the variations that I've seen uh, since I started using this is that the A stands for adapt. So I can't control it. I can't influence it. So I have to adapt to it. And that's maybe the same thing. It's a little, it's a little more uh, empowering sounding than accept, but uh, either way, I don't care which one you use. I, I find this to be one of the most powerful things. It fits virtually every circumstance. What can I control? What can I influence? And what do I need to accept? And here's the crux of this model. Uh, at least 
as I have seen it so far, and that is that leaders make one of two mistakes primarily. They either try to control or influence something that they should just accept, and they beat their heads against a wall, uh, and they frustrate themselves, and they fo- and they suck up all their bandwidth on something that they can't change. They can't control it, and they can't influence it. And if they just accepted it, if they placed it in the right column, they would find that it's liberating to lay down things that aren't yours to begin with. If you can't control it and you can't influence it, it ain't yours to carry around. Let it go. Um, and it can be incredibly liberating. But here's the other mistake that leaders make is you also have to be careful not to accept something that you could have controlled or influenced. One of the most powerful questions I ask as a coach is why, you know, somebody will say, well, yeah, but I just, you know, I can't, I can't such as I can't fire them. Right. I got an employee who's just like off the rails, but I can't fire them. Why? And they've accepted some truth about, uh, well, because, you know, they're, it'll cause too many problems with the other employee. They're, somebody really likes them a lot, or I'm worried about, you know, an unemployment suit, or, I'm, you know, it's all these reasons why I can't. And so we just accept it. I got a poor performing uh, employee, maybe even a toxic employee, but I can't do anything about it. That's one of those you're accepting something you could control or influence. So that's the fifth thing. And those are those are just concepts that I seem to um, draw on most frequently in my leadership journey and in what I see other leaders struggling with, grappling with, addressing uh, and seeking my help as a coach on. Um, So just in summary, number one figure out what your motivation and your passion really is and then connect it to a need somewhere and you will be fulfilled. Number two, when you're going alone, you can go as fast as you want. When you're leading others, you got to go at their pace. You can stretch their pace, but you can't exceed their pace or you're not leading. Number three, assumptions are leadership's number one killer. Number four, I am accountable for me. And number five, control what you can influence what you can't and accept or adapt to the rest. I hope this has been of some value to you. I find it to be a value to me every single day as I lead. Thanks for uh, indulging. Next week we have uh, Michael Wallace. He's a coach trainer at Leadership Systems Incorporated where I got my coaching certification from uh, Dr. Jim Smith and the group there. Um, LSI is uh, Um, just near and dear to my heart. Uh, We're a partner with LSI. We've done some amazing work with them and they have really advanced. They've really advanced my leadership and my ability to coach. And um, I'm just really excited to have Michael on. Michael is, um, is doing a lot of things uh, at LSI, including adapting to how we deliver training in coaching in this time of pandemic. So I'm excited to have Michael on, uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks. I've got Dr. Brian Simmons, who is associate provost at Columbia international university, where I'm getting my PhD. We're going to talk about some of the academics of leadership. We're going to talk about steward leadership. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. Great conversations with Dr. Simmons and, uh, more and more to come. So, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Stay tuned and uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, lead on.